Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapter 28 of Divergent. Yeah, I think this might be a one chapter episode because she really changed it up on me. Previously, she'd been doing chapters of like four pages, really, really short ones. Like the average is like 10 pages per chapter or something like that. Just super quick, get in, get out. But for some reason, for chapter 28, she said, let's do a million scenes. Let's go all around the city. Let's just take five chapters and cram it all into one. So I think we'll just be looking at chapter 28 for this one. Where we left off, we had three short chapters where she was going into Four's fear landscape. And we found out that he's called Four because he only has four fears. I'm glad it wasn't a nickname with anything to do with like a four skin or something. So I guess we got let off easy, but it still doesn't make any sense to me. And then. She went into Lauren's fear landscape and you'd think she'd be really good at it because she was just in Four's landscape and she was fine. She was not scared. One iota. She thought it was easy breezy cover girl, but all of a sudden she's in Lauren's nightmare about getting kidnapped. And she was like, shit, I was kidnapped once. So she had a huge meltdown. And also she's noticed that Will and Christina seem to be getting along (laughs) at the same time. Her and Four made out in the chasm. So I think at chapter 28, we're picking up right after her little meltdown because she's walking outside. She says the sun's shining against her face and that indicates to me that she's outside, which isn't a normal thing. And she says, at least I accomplished one thing. I convinced Peter and his friends that I'm no longer a threat because she just bombed. But then she's thinking, oh, but you know, When I go through my own fear landscape, I have to make sure I prove them wrong because I still want to pass initiation and get the good jobs. She doesn't want the shit job protecting the fence. And so she's just walking in the city on her own. She's thinking, I am someone who does not let inconsequential things like boys and near-death experiences stop me. (laughs) And she can hear the dauntless train horn She says the train tracks loop around the Dauntless compound and then continue further than what she can see. She thinks, where do they begin? Where do they end? What is the world like beyond them? It's train tracks, Trist, you can figure it out. Look up a map of the city and look at the train tracks. Like what? They're obviously going around in a loop. They're not going anywhere else. They're not leaving the fence. You've been on the train before. You went on a train to the fence. Like, I'm sure you have some sort of idea where the tracks go. But she's confused. And she says she wants to go home. But Eric warned us not to appear to attach to our parents. So visiting home would be betraying the Dauntless. And I can't afford to do that. And then she's like, but Eric didn't say anything about visiting people in other factions. (laughs) And she's like, and my mother did tell me to visit Caleb. So she's going to Erudite to visit Caleb. Does she not see that her brother is still family? (laughs) What? I believe Eric's expression was faction before blood. And so ditching Dauntless to go and hang out with your Erudite brother, I think is still putting blood before faction. And she says, I know I'm not allowed to leave without supervision, but I can't stop myself. She is in all sorts. So you did bad in one little subject. Get over it. So she runs and she jumps on to the train. And she says, I don't want to go back to the compound, but choosing to quit to be factionless would be the bravest thing I've ever done. And today I feel like a coward. What? 
previously she said she'd never be factionless. She'd rather die than be factionless. But now she, she secretly wants to be factionless, but she's too cowardly to do it. So the train slows as it reaches the heart of the city. (sighs) These trains, I'm sorry. I know I've ranted about it before, but no one catches them but the Dauntless because they don't stop. But there's still drivers and the drivers are factionless. So the, the factionless drivers are jumping on. And so they're just driving around, even though the Dauntless aren't using the train right now. It doesn't make sense. So the train has slowed down. The erudite live in large stone buildings that overlook the marsh. So she jumps out in that area and then she's walking down the middle of the street, heading south towards the marsh. And she's looking at all the erudite buildings and she's thinking, oh, how am I ever going to find Caleb here? And she's thinking, well, his name must be on a record somewhere. So I'll go to the central building because that should be the most important building and they might have records. Like that's, that's her thought process. She's like, I'll just start there. So she goes into this building. She says the faction members are milling around everywhere. She says erudite faction norms dictate that a faction member must wear at least one blue article of clothing at a time because blue causes the body to release calming chemicals and a calm mind is a clear mind. And I don't know about that. Does that sound true or accurate to anybody else because I wear blue a lot of the time and I'm not feeling calm. Mm-mm. Sometimes when I'm at my most frantic, I'm wearing blue. And I just Googled it. I said, blue clothes release chemicals. <laughs> and the first thing that comes up is like toxic chemicals in clothes linked to cancer and skin irritation. And then the next one is like, is blue clothing dye toxic? And yeah, a certain dye found in blue jeans can be carcinogenic. So I don't know where Erudite are getting this from. And apparently all the crowd of Erudite people are just avoiding her because she looks dauntless because she's wearing black clothes. So she's not calm. And so she goes into the entrance of the building and the room is huge and covered with bookcases. And then she says, but the bookcases seem to be decorative more than anything because computers occupy the tables in the center of the room and no one is reading. So she thinks Erudite are being performative with all of their books, but like, you know, you can get knowledge on a computer too. And she's figured out that it's a library. She's like, of course, the main Erudite building would be a library because they love books. And then she sees a portrait of Janine on the wall. (laughs) There's a red flag because I don't think you should be having portraits of your leaders on walls. It's a bit culty. I don't like it. And she's like, "Ugh, that Janine. <laughs> I've disliked her since my father's dinner table rants, but now, oh, I hate her. So Veronica's really like, remember this character, please. She's going to be important soon. I'm laying the groundwork. And underneath her portrait, there's a plaque that says, knowledge leads to prosperity. And she's thinking, "Ugh, prosperity. That word has a negative connotation because abnegation would use it to describe self-indulgence. Yeah, no wonder they want a different government. Like what's wrong with a government admiring prosperity? I think it's okay to wanna be prosperous. And she's like, ugh, how could Caleb have chosen to be one of these people? She just hates erudite so much. Then don't come here and don't visit. So she goes up to this desk and the guy who's working there says, oh yeah, can I help? And she says, I'm looking for someone. His name is Caleb. Do you know where I can find him? And they're like, yeah, nah, I'm not, I'm not permitted to hand out personal information. And she's like, he's my brother. And he's like, yeah, I'm not permitted. And she interrupts by slamming her palm on the desk in front of him. And she says, I said, I'm looking for someone. Can you at least tell me where I can find the initiates? So she's really getting a bit demanding. I'm, I'm kind of liking that spunk. Although she could have tried being nice first. I don't know. She's not Amity, that's for sure. But then coincidence of all coincidences, a voice behind her says, Beatrice? And she turns around and Caleb's standing right there. As fucking if. I'm sorry, but no. Trains that drive around nonstop, sure. Zip lining off of a building in an abandoned city? Yeah, sure sticking a needle into someone's neck and then putting them into a fear landscape with their worst nightmares. Yeah, sure. But finding the person you're looking for right behind you, the very first place you look, 
in an area that you've never been before? No, that's too far. That's too far-fetched. I am sorry, Veronica, but you did not earn this little run-in with Caleb. She didn't have to do a fucking thing. So Caleb's hair has grown and, well, that's to be expected. It's it, Time has passed. And he's also wearing a blue shirt and rectangular glasses. And she's like, glasses? You don't need glasses. And he's like, uh, well, I, I guess I do. Like, who cares if I'm wearing glasses or not? And he says, well, you've got a tattoo. And then he's like, you know what? Let's get out of here. Because he's obviously like, I don't want to be seen talking to this dauntless bitch in the middle of the library. So they exit the building, they cross the street. And she says, across from Erudite headquarters is what used to be a park. Now we just call it Millennium. And it's a stretch of bare land and several rusted metal sculptures. <sighs> One, an abstract plated mammoth. Another shaped like a lima bean that dwarfs me in size. Yep, so it's Millennium Park. Yeah, uh, that's, that's the cloud gate bean thingy. Like, uh, uh, thank you for filling us in and really hitting us over the head with it. It used to be a park. We call it Millennium now. Like, yeah, okay, Millennium Park. I, I figured it out. Also, she says the metal sculptures are rusty and yet the Ferris wheel, fine, in full working condition. Nothing wrong with that Ferris wheel that sat there abandoned for years at the edge of the lake. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. But these sculptures in Millennium Park rust. So they sit down at the bean, which what do we all think of the bean? I've been to Chicago and I looked at that bean thingy and I was like, oh, okay, it's, it's a bean. <laughs> like, I don't get it. And they call it Cloud Gate as well. And I'm like, we all know it's a bean. Why are we calling it something fancy like Cloud Gate? It's a bean. And like you, what, take a photo of your reflection in the bean, but then everyone else is in the photo because it's always packed. And you're like, what? Why are we at a bean? Who's flicking my bean? Like, why am I here? But yeah, I did go and I did love it. If anyone listening is from Chicago, can you like fill me in on what you think about Divergent and just all the hot spots of your city that keep popping up? Are you a bean fan? Do you hang out at the bean? Do you flick the bean? Let me know. So now that they're away from people, he's like, what are you doing here? And she says, oh, I wanted to go home and you're the closest thing I could think of. And he presses his lips together and she's like, well, fuck me. Don't look so pleased to see me then. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled to see you. It's just that this isn't allowed. There are rules. And she's like, I don't care. And he says, maybe you should. He says, if it were me, I wouldn't want to get in trouble with your faction. And she's like, well, what's that supposed to mean? And it's like, well, yeah, Dauntless has a reputation. You know this. And she's like, oh, he sees my faction as the cruelest of the five and nothing more. Uh, yeah, that's kind of their reputation. And he's like, geez, I just don't want you to get hurt. Why are you so angry with me? What happened to you in there? And she's like, nothing, nothing happened to me. When no, really, you just got doped up with some fear serum that made you relive the most traumatic experience of your life when you almost got killed by your fellow colleagues, when you got almost thrown into a chasm because you were doing well. Like, yeah, I I think a lot's been happening to you actually, Tris. And he's like, oh, do you think you made the right choice? And she's like, I don't think there was a choice. What about you? And what? Yes. Yes, there was. It was the choosing ceremony. And like you had more of a clear choice than anyone. You, you had been told that you were apt for three different factions. So yeah, there was a choice. Oh, and apparently it's still busy around the bean because people are still looking at them and he's nervous. And she's like, but maybe it's not nervousness about me. Maybe he's nervous about them. So she's like, wait a minute, what's wrong? What's going on here? And she notices that he's got dark circles under his eyes and she's like, oh no. And he says, something big is happening, Beatrice. Something is wrong. I don't know what it is, but people keep rushing around, talking quietly, and Janine gives speeches about how corrupt abnegation is all the time, almost every day. And she says, well, do you believe her? And he says, no, maybe, I don't know. I don't know what to believe. And she's like, yes, you do. You know who our parents are. You know who our friends are. Do you think Susan's dad, do you think they're corrupt? And he says, well, how the fuck do I know? How much do I know? How much did they allow me to know? 
We weren't allowed to ask questions, Beatrice. We weren't allowed to know things. And I'm thinking, yep, that's a good point. That's a great point. I hate abnegation. Team Erudite, go Janine. And he's like, at least here, information is free. It's always available. And she says, this isn't candor. There are liars here, Caleb. Remember, because there's no liars in candor at all. There are liars here, Caleb. There are people who are so smart, they know how to manipulate you. And he says, don't you think I would know if I was being manipulated? And oh, you lost me, Caleb, because you just admitted that you thought you were being manipulated by abnegation because you weren't allowed to say anything. But now you're like, of course I'd know if I was being manipulated. Well, I don't, I don't know. You can't have that argument serve both ways. And Tris is like, well, if they're as smart as you think they are, then yeah, maybe you wouldn't know if you're being manipulated. And he's like, Ugh, whatever, you don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, oh yeah, how could I possibly know what a corrupt faction looks like? I'm just training to be dauntless for God's sake. So is she implying that dauntless are corrupt? Is that a thing we know in our hearts to be true? Like they're fucked up, but are they corrupt? Like I, well, yeah, she has, she has unveiled a murder plot (laughs) with the dauntless leaders murdering divergent people. So yeah, maybe they are corrupt, but she was just like, a minute ago being like, how dare he have a go at my faction? When now she's like, yeah, Dauntless, they're corrupt, obviously. So again, you can't pick and choose your arguments like this. The the two of them, they're more similar than they know. You can see how they're siblings. And she's like, fuck's sake, Caleb, these people are arrogant and greedy and they will lead you nowhere. And he's like, maybe you should go, Beatrice. And she says, with pleasure. And then she says, oh, and not that it will matter but mum told me to tell you to research the simulation serum. And he's like, oh, you saw her? Why didn't she come and see me? And she's like, because the erudite don't let abnegation into their compound anymore. Or wasn't that information available to you? So she is just sassafrassing him, sassing right back. And then she leaves. Then she's walking away from him. She's like, ugh. I want to go back to Dauntless. Dauntless is my home. Even though they're corrupt there, she's like, Dauntless is my home and I want to be there. That's where I stand. But then she looks up and there's two erudite men with their arms folded and they're like, excuse me, you've got to come with us. And so even though she could probably beat up both of those dorks, because remember, even if they are security within erudite, they're still two dweebs. They're, They're dorks. I think she could beat up every single dork in that compound. But no, she just goes with them. They must have had a gun or something. I don't know. They must have intimidated her in some way because she goes with them. And they get led back into the library. But then she's walking down some hallway. She's into an elevator. She says the walls are now glowing like the ceiling of the aptitude test room. And she's like, oh, the walls of the corridor are made of glass. And she says, I guess I know which faction designed my school then because her school looked the same. And I think she thinks she's just solved a mystery, but like, yeah, I think we all knew that Erudite were the architects and like, wouldn't you want Erudite designing the school anyway? Like, I I don't think anyone cares about that, Tris. Why are you being led by these two people? Just attack them and leave. And then she gets led into an office. There's a woman sitting behind a metal desk and she stares at the face and she says, oh, the same face dominates the library. It's plastered across every article Erudite releases. She says, how long have I hated that face? I don't remember. And it's Janine, obviously. So Janine says, sit. And she goes, that voice, she sounds familiar, especially when she's irritated. And I'm thinking, oh, wow. When is she going to figure out that that's the same voice that she overheard talking to Eric when she was getting water in the middle of the night. I was like, there's going to be so much dramatic tension. When is she going to finally place it? Cause you know, like I read a lot of murder mysteries and like Agatha Christie's and stuff. And there's always something that like Perot can't quite put his finger on. And he'll keep saying like, something about that is interesting. Like, or like the narrator of a detective book is always like, oh, something about that is triggering a memory, but I can't quite figure it out. And then they always figure it out at the end of the book. And they're like, aha you're the killer. Anyway, then Janine says, sit. And she goes, I've definitely heard that voice before. And I was like, yep, keep building the mystery. And then she says, I heard it in the hallway talking to Eric before I got attacked. 
I heard her mention divergence. And so, no, actually, no suspense. She's figured it out straight away. Mystery solved. But then she does say, oh, wait, I did hear it once before as well. I heard it dot, dot, dot. And I'm like, okay, at least we get a little bit more mystery. And then she says, it was your voice in the simulation. In the aptitude test, I mean. So she's the voice of the aptitude test. Okay, so uh, another mystery solved. All the mysteries are solved in one paragraph. No suspense. Oh, it was nice while it lasted. So remember when she said it was a dreamy voice? Well, because she heard it within the simulation in the aptitude room. I kind of assumed it was Tori's voice saying, you know, pick the knife or pick the cheese, but apparently it was this woman, Janine's. And Janine's like, yep, that's me. The aptitude test is my greatest achievement as a scientist. And she says, by the way, I looked up your test results, Beatrice. Apparently there was a problem with your test. It was never recorded and your results had to be reported manually. Did you know about that? And she's like, nah. And she goes, well, did you know that you're only one of two people to ever get an abnegation result and switch to Dauntless? And she's thinking, oh shit. So that means since my result was fake, Tobias is actually the only one who's ever jumped ship, which I don't believe because remember how four was like, Dauntless and Abnegation are more similar than they think. <laughs> he's like finding all these similarities between them, but, but no, he's the only one. So then there's Janine, little bossy boots. She's like, well, what made you choose Dauntless? And Tris isn't playing. She's like, well, what's that got to do with anything? And she's like, why am I even in your office, by the way? Aren't you supposed to be important or something? And she thinks, maybe that will take it down a few pegs. <laughs> As far as burns go, Tris, it wasn't that great, but she's really proud of herself for that one. But it does sort of work because Janine's mouth pinches for a second. So we'll just have to be happy with that. And she says, I will leave the reprimands to the dauntless. As to the reason for your presence here, a quality of my faction is curiosity. And while perusing your records, I saw that there was another error with another one of your simulations. Again, it failed to be recorded. Did you know that? And she's thinking shit. And she's also looking at the window behind her (laughs) and she can see a train take a lazy turn in the distance. So the trains are still working overtime. And she says, how did you access my records? Only the Dauntless have access to those. And she's like, well, the Erudite developed the simulations and we have an understanding with the Dauntless Beatrice. So I'm merely concerned for the competence of our technology. If it fails while you are around, I have to ensure that it does not continue to do so, you understand? And Triss is like, she's lying to me. She doesn't care about the technology. She just thinks something is wrong with my test results and she's sniffing around for divergence. And she also doesn't trust her because her mum wanted the simulation serum investigated and she's like, Janine probably has something to do with it. And Janine, I don't really think you needed to say anything. You have the upper hand here. I don't know why you're talking about your evil plans. But Triss is like, I can't let her know that I'm able to manipulate the simulations. Obviously, like, obviously you wouldn't be telling Janine that, but she's like, I can't do it. I can't say it. I have to lie. It's like, yeah, yeah, you have to lie. And she says, I don't know how they work, uh, but the liquid that was injected uh, made me sick. So maybe the simulation administrator was distracted because they were worried I would throw up. (laughs) I don't, I don't really know how good of a lie that is. Four does tell her that she's a bad liar and she's not suited for candor because she can't lie or that she is suited for candor because she can't lie. Ugh, the faction system, ugh. And Janine's not buying it. She's like, well, do you have a sensitive stomach? (laughs) And she's like, yep, ever since I was young. (laughs) And Janine's like, no, you fucking don't. Then she says, you have been extremely successful with the simulations. Why do you think you find them so easy to complete? And so Janine obviously didn't hear about the last one, the one that she could not complete. In fact, she was the biggest failure out of all of the initiates. So Janine's not quite as up to date as she maybe thinks she is. And Triss is thinking, I should try and be cocky and arrogant because that's what she's probably expecting from me because of my faction. And she says, I'm brave. I'm the best initiate they've got. And she says, you want to know why I chose Dauntless? It's because I was bored. I was tired of being a wussy little do-gooder and I wanted out. And she thinks she's killing it. She thinks, oh, wow, I'm really committing to the lie. I'm doing a great job. 
And Janine's like, mm, still not buying it. So she says, so you don't miss your parents at all? And she says, do I miss getting scolded for looking in the mirror? Do I miss being told to shut up at the dinner table? No, I don't miss them. They're not my family anymore. And it hurt her saying that. She's like close to tears. She's picturing her mother giving her a haircut and she's like, I want to scream rather than insult her like this. And Janine's like, come on, fall into my trap. And she says, well, does that mean that you agree with all of the reports being released about the political leaders of this city? And in her head, she's like, ah, shit, not this. But she says wholeheartedly, even though she wants to strangle her. And that's the conversation. Like, that's it. I really thought we were building to something. We had some conflict. We've got our villain slash hero, Janine. God, I love Janine. Justice for Janine. But that conversation sort of ends there. And one of Janine's lackeys, who's a man in a blue shirt, obviously, he drives her back to the Dauntless compound. And like that, that's it for Janine. Janine had a hard out. No more from her this chapter. Or Caleb. <laughs> Caleb really yeeted out of there, didn't he? And I think. Tris forgot that she was there to see Caleb when she was like, I hate my family. I hate abnegation. I don't want any other ties to abnegation. I only want to be dauntless. I'm dauntless. And it's like, well, then why are you visiting your brother? I think she forgot about that bit. So she notices that the car that she's being driven in is really quiet. Like the engine is almost silent. So she asks the erudite dweeb and he says, oh, it's solar powered. And then he launches into a lengthy explanation and she zones out. She's like, I do not care. So the driver pulls up to the glass building above the Dauntless compound and Eric's waiting there for her. Remember, because Eric and Janine are buddies. So I don't know if Janine gave him the heads up, if they texted. Not too sure if there's texting capabilities in this society. We know they have computers. Don't know about phones. Although if that elevator's been working for a hundred years in that building that she ziplined off of, I imagine there's like a Nokia, an old Nokia phone that's still banging about and being useful. So Eric takes her by the arm and he's squeezing it so hard she knows she'll have bruises. And then he stands between her and the door that leads inside and he's just completely still. And then he's cracking his knuckles, just like one pop at a time, which is very intimidating. And he says, welcome back, Tris. And she's like, oh, hi, Eric. <laughs> and then he says, what exactly were you thinking? And he's being super aggro. And she says he is so close, she can see the holes his metal piercings fit into. So he mustn't be wearing the piercings if she can see the holes, but yeah, she can see the holes. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. 
and he says, I am tempted to call you a traitor, Triss. Have you never heard the phrase faction before blood? You know she's heard it because you say it all the freaking time. And she's like, I've seen Eric do terrible things. I've heard him say terrible things, but I've never seen him like this. He is not a maniac anymore. He is perfectly controlled, perfectly poised, careful and quiet. And she says, for the first time, I recognize Eric for what he is. An erudite disguised as a dauntless, a genius as well as a sadist, a hunter of the divergent. And I'm like, well, yeah, you saw him talking to Janine. Don't you already know that he's like teamed up with the erudite then? But do we think she's right? Is he an erudite plant? Who knows? And then he says, were you unsatisfied with the life you have found here? Do you perhaps regret your choice? And then both of his metal ridden eyebrows lift, forcing creases into his forehead. So the metal, the piercings are still in, in the holes. So, I, uh, but she can see the holes. I don't know. And he says, I would like to hear an explanation for why you betrayed Dauntless yourself and me by venturing into another faction's headquarters. Like, oh, calm down, Eric. Like, is it that big of a deal? And if it is such of a big deal, why did her mum ask her to go and see Caleb? Like her mum was a Dauntless. Remember, she knows all about the Dauntless initiation. She wanted to protect Trish. She's like, keep your head down. Don't do anything that will get you into trouble. But can you also leave the compound and betray your faction by going to visit your brother and visiting the headquarters of a separate faction? Like, why would you get her to do that? Triss's mum. And Triss is feeling a bit scared or at least intimidated. She says, he would kill me if he knew what I was. I can feel it. And she's like, I am alone. If something happens to me, no one will know and no one will see. And he says, if you can't explain to me, I might reconsider your rank and also affect the ranks of your little friends. He says, perhaps the little abnegation girl inside of you would take that more seriously. And she's like, no, that wouldn't be fair. It's like, what's fair about any of this, Tris? And she's about to say something because she's like, well, that did do the trick. But then the door opens and Tobias walks in. Walks in. I thought they were outside. Uh, Never mind. And he's like, whoa, Eric, what the hell are you doing? And Eric says, leave the room. And she's like, wait, he's just changed his voice. He's picked up his like act again to be more of the Eric that everybody's familiar with. And she says, I stare amazed that he can turn it on and off so easily. And Four's like, ah, oh, she's just a foolish girl. No need to drag her here and interrogate her. And Eric's like, well, if she were just a foolish girl, she wouldn't be ranked first, would she? And Tobias is like, well, fuck, got us there. But he's trying to like signal something to her by pinching the bridge of his nose. And she's like, oh, he's trying to tell me something. What advice has Four given me recently? Maybe I need to pretend vulnerability again. <laughs> I don't know how he signaled that just by pinching his nose. What sort of secret code is that? We haven't been filled in on their like personal sign language that they have. So she says, oh, I was embarrassed. I didn't know what to do. And then she's pinching her leg through her pockets. So the tears well up in her eyes. And then she's sniffing and she's like (laughs) crying. And she's like, I tried. Um, um, and he's like, yet tried to what? And then Tobias cuts in and says, kiss me. She tried to kiss me and I rejected her and she went running off like a five-year-old. There's nothing really to blame her for but stupidity. And there's like a moment of tension. And then Eric laughs. He thinks it's so funny. He's like, you, you, you ugly girl that's not pretty with him. (laughs) And he laughs and he says, isn't he too old for you, Tris? And he's smiling. "Um, Yeah, he is. He is too old for her. And then she's acting all embarrassed and she's like, can I go now? And Eric's like, fine, but you can't leave the compound ever again. And he says to Tobias, and you, (laughs) make sure that none of the other initiates try to kiss you. (laughs) Eric was just so menacing. And now he's like, la-da-dee, la-da-da. So Triss goes outside to, (laughs) to get rid of her jitters. He just said, never leave the compound again. And she's like, okay. And then she leaves the building and goes and sits on the curb. Tris. And so she sits down. She doesn't know how long she's been there for. It could be minutes. It could be an hour. But then Tobias comes out and sits with her and she's like, all right, here comes the scolding. I did smack him in the face. So I guess there'll be a scolding. 
But instead he says, are you okay? And then he touches her cheek gently and she bats his hand away. (laughs) She was just like feeling regret for smacking him in the face. But now she's like, don't touch me. And she's hitting his hand away. And she says, well, first I got reamed out in front of everyone. Don't you hate that expression, reamed out? Like, ugh. Like, what'd you do last night? Oh, I got reamed out. Like, it sounds sexual, right? Anyway, she says, yeah, I got reamed out in front of everyone. Ugh. And then I had to chat with the woman who's trying to destroy my old faction. And then Eric almost tossed my friends out of Dauntless. So yeah, it's shaping up to be a pretty great day for... And she says for, like, that's an insult to him. And he's like, yeah, it's my nickname. Like, I don't really care. But instead of being like, yeah, you also punched me in the face today, Tris. He just shakes his head and looks at the dilapidated building to his right, which is made of brick and barely resembles the sleek glass spire behind her. And she thinks, oh, that building must be ancient. No one builds with brick anymore. What? When, when are we set? No one builds with brick anymore. That's because you are all in buildings that exist in the city already. Like your hub is that really big tower and the erudite are hanging out at the library. I don't think they're building new places. And if she thinks every brick building in the city is is ancient, like when are we set? I just want to know. Because if it's really far in the future, if it's really, really, really far in the future, I can get that, yeah, brick buildings are old. Then don't have an elevator that works and don't have a Ferris wheel that still has a generator attached to it. And then Triss is like, well, why do you care for? You can be either cruel instructor or concerned boyfriend. You can't play both parts at the same time. And then a part of her is like, oh, did I just say boyfriend? What the hell am I doing? (laughs) And he's like, yeah, I was protecting you this morning. I'm not cruel. How do you think Peter and his idiot friends would have reacted if they discovered that you and I were dot, dot, dot? He says, you would never win. They would always call your ranking a result of my favoritism rather than your skill. Who cares? Who cares what they say? But she's like, he's right. And then she says, well, you didn't have to insult me to prove something to them. And he's like, yeah, you didn't have to smack me in the fucking face. He doesn't say that. He says, you didn't have to run off to your brother just because I hurt you. Did he do anything that bad? Peter said, what was that stiff? That was pathetic. Which is pretty mean, I guess, but it wasn't that bad. Like she's been called stiff a fair amount, especially by him. I I don't get the big deal. Oh, okay. Maybe because they kissed the day before and then he acted like he'd never seen her before in his life at breakfast and then he was mean to her. Okay, I get that. But that's why you don't have relations with your students, Four. That's why it's a can of worms you shouldn't open. And then Four says, oh, I didn't think it would affect you this way. Sometimes I forget that I can hurt you, that you were capable of being hurt. Well, how do you forget that, Four? Are you a sociopath? Also, ugh, so much talking. Too much talking in this huge chapter. Like, you see what I'm saying how this is a big chapter? Like, this could have been broken up into easily three chapters already. And she's sort of thinking like, oh, he treats me like shit because he knows that I'm strong and I can handle it. (laughs) And so she says, no one has ever been so convinced of my strength. So she stands on her tiptoes and kisses him. (laughs) I don't know why she's flattered that he was being mean to her. And she says, you're brilliant. Ugh, you always know how to get us out of these jams. And he says, only because I've been thinking about this for a long time, how I would handle it if you and I, you know, dot, dot, dot. And then he says, did I hear you call me your boyfriend, Tris? And she's like, um, and she says, why do you, do you want me to? And then he's got his thumb on a chin and his eyes are shut and he's just breathing for a few moments, which is very dramatic. But then he says, yes. (laughs) And then he says, do you think we convinced him that you're just a silly girl? Yeah, you might've convinced Eric, but you're also sitting out in the open together on a curb, making out. Maybe Eric could be in the building watching you right now. So you're not being very discreet. Yeah, you might've convinced him, but he could have easily caught you since then. And he says, there's something I need to tell you. And she says, what? And he says, not now, meet me back here at 11.30. Don't tell anyone where you're going. And then she's like, okay, she nods and then she leaves. And the chapter is still going. And now she's at the dormitory with Christina. 
Everyone else seems to be at dinner. So it's just her and Christina in the dorm. And she's like, where have you been? Did you get into trouble for hitting four? I couldn't find you. What's the tea, sis? And she doesn't really want to tell her the truth. So she's just like, I just had to get away. And I walked around for a long time. I'm not in trouble. I did get yelled at, but I apologized. That's where we're at. And Christina's like, oh yeah, that's great. And she just moves on straight away. Christina, I think is a bit self-centered because then she's like, I've got something to tell you, Tris. She's like, can you like be a girl for a few seconds? And Tris is a Martian because she says, "Uh, I'm always a girl. She doesn't get it. And Christina's like, oh, for fuck's sake, that's not what I meant. Like be like a girlfriend. And she says, Will kissed me. And then Tris has to pretend to be happy. She's like, what, when, how, what happened? And Christina's like, oh, you can be a girl. Ha ha ha. And she says, well, right after your little episode, (laughs) I love that they're calling it an episode. We ate lunch and then we talked and then we were just, we were just chatting. And then he kissed me. And she's like, and you know what the best part was? We just kept walking and talking like nothing happened. And then I kissed him. And Tris is like, oh yeah, that's, that's thrilling. Um, how long have you liked him? And she says, I don't know. I don't know if I did like him, but you know, little things. He put his arm around me at the funeral, which could have been yesterday for all we know. Uh, and then he opens the door for her, which she's appreciative of, which seems like it's an anti-dauntless trait to want someone else to open the door for you, but uh, whatever. And then she's thinking, oh, suddenly I want to tell her all about Tobias but I probably shouldn't. (laughs) I don't want her to think that my rank has anything to do with my relationship. So she's already saying relationship, like she's, she's invested. Do we think that they became boyfriend, girlfriend pretty quickly? Like I know they've been flirting for 20 chapters and it's been dragging and dragging and dragging, but it also seems pretty quick. Like she only just learned his name yesterday. But speaking of moving quick, she's sitting in the dorm and she's looking around and she's like, oh, people have already started packing their things. She says, soon we'll move into the apartments on the other side of the compound. Those with government jobs will move to the glass building above the pit. And so, yeah, initiation's like almost over. I thought we would be doing this fear landscape simulation serum thing for like weeks and weeks like they did with the other simulation serum, but it sort of sounds like it's a one and done and then they graduate. So yeah, really dragging. This initiation, oh, it's dragged, it's dragged, it's dragged, but also super quick. Like what have they really learned? How to shoot a gun, how to beat up a bitch, and that's about it. And then Christina says how she thinks she couldn't have made it through the candor initiation. She says there, instead of simulations, you get lie detector tests all day, every day. And the final test, they give you this stuff they call truth serum. and sit you in front of everyone and ask you a load of really personal questions. The theory is that if you spill all your secrets, you'll have no desire to lie about anything ever again. Like the worst about you is already in the open, so why not just be honest? Nope, no ma'am, immediately no, immediately no. I am not interested in that, I would never be candor. That sounds terrible, terrible. I would rather beat a bitch up in Dauntless or read some books with the dweebs at Erudite. No way. No, no way. Immediately no. And Triss is the same. She's like, ugh, that sounds awful. And Christina's like, yeah. But then Christina opens up a cabinet, which is near their bunk bed, and a moth flutters out. And she's like, oh my God, a moth, get it off me, get it off me. And she's like screaming and slapping. And then the moth flies away. And she's like, oh, it's gone. And then Triss is like, you're afraid of moths? Like they're just finding out about it. Like, hasn't she been seeing moths in her fearscape for like weeks now? And haven't they been talking about it at all? But like, she's, she's blindsided that she's afraid of moths. And she's laughing about that. She's like, that's hilarious. I don't, why are we getting a little scene about this? Is it going to become important? Is she going to go into her fear skate like next chapter and like fight a giant moth? Like, otherwise, why do I care? She's afraid of moths. Okay. Seems like everyone in Dauntless is afraid of something. Like if you don't have a phobia, you can't be in Dauntless. And then the chapter is still going. And she says, when I find Tobias late that night, he doesn't say anything. He just grabs my hand and pulls me toward the train tracks. So they're out and about in the city. And so they jump onto the train because the train's still moving. It's 11.30 at night, but the trains don't stop. The train drivers, 
I, I assume maybe live in the in the train. They're factionless, so they don't have anywhere else to live. Maybe I don't know. And so they're on the train together. There's no one around, and she's like, "Okay, what do you want to tell me?" And he says, "Not yet." <laughs> so they just sit in silence on the train. But he does press his fingers to her face, his index fingers sliding behind her ears, and pulling her mouth to his. So they're making out. Again, she's really got to give us the blow-by-blow description of how he moves his hands in order to start a kiss. Just say that you kiss. This chapter would be so much shorter if you just stopped talking about his fingers and his delicate hands. And then there's some turbulence on the train. She's making out like it's the most wobbly train ever, (laughs) which it may be. Who knows? Again, I don't know what train maintenance is happening. And so she, she's jostled and her hand lands on his hip and she's like, oh, I should move that hand, but she doesn't. And she's like, you know what? I'm meant to be brave. This is me being brave. And so then she swings a leg over him. So she's sitting on top of him. I was like, whoa, you really are progressing things. And then she starts kissing him, just straddling him lap dance style. And then his fingers are slipping down her spine because we always need to know what his fingers are doing at all times. And then he's unzipping her jacket a little bit. And I'm like, holy shit, we are steaming up here. And do you think like he even had something to tell her or he just wanted to make out on the train? Like I'm getting the impression this was just sort of ruse to go on a little make out sesh. And then he's looking at her tattoos, you know, the ones of the birds. And he's like, oh yeah, these crows. I keep forgetting to ask. And she's like, nah, they're ravens. One for each member of my family. Do you like them? (laughs) And he doesn't answer. So they're not crows. So she's afraid of crows, but she got ravens tattooed on her body. The whole tattoo what you're afraid of onto your body, crows slash ravens subplot, I'm not interested in. And also neither is Tobias because he doesn't say if he likes them or not, which is hilarious. But he does kiss each bird. I guess that's a non-verbal way to say you like the tattoos, I guess. And then he's like, oh, here's our stop, even though the train doesn't stop. So they have to jump off of the moving train. And she says it's now past midnight. So all the streetlights are dark because all of the buildings turn off their lights automatically at midnight. Apparently that's a rule, except there is a cluster of buildings with the lights still on and that's the Erudite headquarters. And apparently he says, yeah, the rules don't apply to them. And he's like, but it has made me wonder, what are the Erudite doing at night that requires nightlight? <laughs> what are they doing that requires nightlight? Like you could, you could just say light. I don't know why he's going to specify nightlight. It's not like they're actually plugging like night lights into their walls. They've just got the lights on at night. But then he turns to her and he says, there's two things you should know about me. The first is that I am deeply suspicious of people. It is my nature to expect the worst of them. And the second is that I am unexpectedly good with computers. I didn't see that coming. I didn't know where he was going. I was like, well, she already knows you've got four fears. So she pretty much knows everything. But no, he's, he's good with computers. He says, a few weeks ago before training started, I was at work and I found a way into the Dauntless Secure files. Hmm, seems a bit fishy. He says, apparently we are not as skilled as the erudite at security. And what I discovered was what looked like war plans. Thinly veiled commands, supply lists, maps, things like that. And those files were sent by Erudite. And she's like, I've always been wary of Erudite, but this? And then she thinks of what Caleb said earlier, something big is happening. And she's like, oh, it's a war on abnegation, isn't it? And he's like, well, they are the faction that controls government, which was a system set up for failure. And he says, all those reports are supposed to stir up dissension against abnegation. Apparently the Erudite now want to speed up the process. And he's like, I've got no idea what to do or what even can be done. So his first instinct was to tell his underage girlfriend. She's not even a full Dauntless yet. She hasn't graduated. And he's like, been sitting on this knowledge for weeks. He said before initiation, weeks before initiation, he discovered this. So he just sat on it and he thought, I'll bring it up with my girlfriend who's 16. If there's going to be war, she needs to know about it. And she says, well, why would Erudite want to team up with Dauntless? And then she realizes, she says, something occurs to me, something that hits me in the gut and gnaws at my insides. Erudite doesn't have weapons and they don't know how to fight, but the Dauntless do. And yeah, no shit. Yeah, no shit. I I feel like that's pretty obvious. 
but she's staring wide-eyed at Tobias and she says, they're gonna use us. And he's like, I don't know how they plan to get us to fight. And she's thinking, oh, the Yeridite, they'll find a way. They wouldn't leave it up to chance. She's like, I'm sure they have a plan, but she says, I don't know. And that's the end of the chapter. And does it make me a psycho to say that I'm liking Erudite even more? Erudite are trying to stage a coup to win government and they're not even going to use themselves to fight. They're just going to get another faction to do all the dirty work and fighting for them and then reap all the benefits. That's smart. I'm, I'm really team Erudite. I'm sorry to say it, but I'm not sorry. I'm interested to hear how you guys feel. Are you buying into this erudite as villain narrative? Because, you know, I I disagree. I think like, you know how Disney are doing Maleficent and Cruella, like they're giving all the villains like a backstory to be like, look, they're humans who just like did a few wrong things every now and then. Like they're humanizing the villains. I feel like we need a erudite prequel, which builds them up as being misunderstood. Anyway, let me know what you think. As always, feel free to leave a review. You can also jump over to Patreon at patreon.com slash breaking down bad books for access to the exclusive feed. And I'll see you guys next week for war. Maybe we're we're heating up. Maybe we're going to war. Maybe nothing else is going to happen for pages and pages. We'll see. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm on Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. 